Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading two sections today, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then chapter 6, 1 through 4. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of God. Thank you, Amy. Please keep your Bible open there at uh, Ephesians 6, and we'll look at those verses about children and parents. I guess many of us are into projects of various kinds, um, home renovation projects, sewing, knitting, gardening, car restoration. I don't know what you're into. Uh, Of all the projects I have undertaken, nothing has ever been like the parenting project. Uh, We started it, yeah, 35 years ago. It's gone on way longer than we ever expected. When you first have kids, you kind of think about little kids. But the parenting project goes on and on. Uh, It's been hugely expensive and massively rewarding. It's given us probably our highest highs and our lowest lows. It's been filled with amazing joy and a bucket load of tears. But I'm not going to speak this morning about this on the basis of my experience. I am a flawed, very flawed father who would love to have a second chance at a whole lot of stuff. So this morning, please don't take it from me. Take it from God and from his word because he talks to us about children and parents. God's word here says stuff that I think is very important for all of us, whether we're parents or not, whether we have kids or not, whether we are young or old. I say that because here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is addressing the whole church. 
And he does so as a single man who's never had, had kids. But he speaks about this because he believes that it's important for the church, for the community of God's people to think about parents and children and family. And he's addressing not only parents and kids, it's in a section where he's addressing the whole household. He started with husbands and wives. Then there are parents and children who will go on to slaves and masters. He's addressing everyone who was part of a first century household. And part of why he's doing that is the church itself is a household. The the church is a family made up of all these uh, different kinds of people. And there's a sense here in which whether you have kids or not, whether you're single or not, there's a sense here in which we're all brothers and sisters, fathers and kids, grandparents and grandchildren in the faith, uh, in the community of God's people. And all of us are in this project together of raising the next generation to know and love the Lord Jesus. So it's important for us to think about it because we're all part of a church family. It's also important for us to think about this because our culture is constantly talking about it. There are so many messages, aren't there, all around us about family, mums, dads, husbands, wives, children, kids, parenting approaches. There's endless talk and messaging about that. And as we hear all that, the most important question we can ask as Christians is say, well, what does God say? That's always got to be our default question. What does the Bible say? About this, and it and it says some stuff here. It says some stuff here in Ephesians six one to four. But the first thing I would have you note, just before we really get into this, is that it's pretty brief. And Paul gives us principles, not prescriptions. That's almost always the case across so much of Christian life. God is not highly prescriptive in the New Testament. He gives us principles. And the principles matter enormously, but there are multiple ways you can put those into practice. He does not give us a paint-by-numbers approach to raising kids. In fact, I think you should be wary of any parenting system, especially if that system sells itself as being the biblical way of raising kids. The Bible doesn't give us a system. It doesn't give us prescriptions. But, oh, it gives us principles that matter. And actually, you have great freedom in applying the principles. There are, I think there are many different ways of doing Christian home life well. (laughs) There are also a bucket of ways of doing it badly. And so we need principles to guide us. Uh, I want to um, give you five. I want to talk about five things that matter. Buckle in. This is a five-pointer. I tell my students not to do that. And unfortunately, one of them is here. But uh, here we go, five principles arising out of these four verses. The first is this. Children matter. Kids matter. It's very significant that this chapter begins addressing children. Look at verse 1. Children. Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church, and as he speaks to the church, he says, hey, kids. Uh, He's not just talking about children, he's talking to children. Children are not just the future of the church. Children are the church of now, the church of today. That's why we 
baptised children this morning as a mark of belonging to the family, the household of God. The entire biblical story is a story where kids are always there in the community of God's people. So kids, I want to talk to you. Some of the little ones have gone out to Sunday school and crashed and stuff, but there's plenty of you still here. And young people. So we'll call you a kid until you've left home. Or something like that. Oh, that, yeah, well, that catches you, eh, kids? That's good. Um, I want to say to you children, like, we are so blessed to have you here in church. We are so blessed to have you as part of this family. There are plenty of churches I know, some I go to, there are no kids there. It might be a church full of young adults, it might be a church full of old people. We are very blessed to have a church with lots of children, lots of young people in it as well. We are richer as a church for having a great mix of ages. And so, kids, that's why we want you to feel a part of this church. That's why we do stuff like kids' talks and Sunday school now and creche and kids' club and branch youth and, and other, other programs and ministries. We want you to be part of this church. We want you to have a sense of belonging. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to hear lots of good Bible teaching here at church. We want you to have Christian friends here at church. We want you to be able to serve, and many of you already do, even when you're quite little. You're helping, you're alongside parents or other people serving and stuff. That's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. We want you to be part of a worship service. Uh, hopefully you're listening. Some of you even look like you're listening right now, which is awesome. You, you can pick up more in church than you often think, if you try. You can sing, you can follow with some of the prayers, you can, you can pick up stuff from sermons. We want you here in church. And, and if I can say to all of us then, we want that. We want our kids to be part of this family. And it's worth putting up with a bit of noise and mess for that end. That, that's family, and we are family. If you are from a family where there is absolutely never any noise or mess, then you won't feel comfortable in this family here at church. <laughs> but what family is like that? So it's very simple, isn't it? That's the first principle. Kids matter. Children matter. They matter in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second principle, okay, kids, I'm still talking to you guys. You can't sign out yet. Here's the second, here's the second thing that matters obedience matters. Whoa! That's what it says here. Children, obey your parents. Whoa! Isn't that exciting? Like you read that verse, you think, yes, I get to obey my parents. That is so cool. Is that what you think? Good news, kids. You don't always have to obey your parents. Did you know that? If your parents say to you, let's say your mum says to you, your brother, he's a pain in the neck. Poke him in the eye. Yep. <laughs> she says, maybe your mum does say that. Poke him in the eye. Smack him up. He's a horrible little boy. If, if your parents say that, don't obey them. Hmm. Don't obey them if they tell you to do something sinful or wrong. But... Most of the time, maybe all the time, they won't tell you to do something really wrong. They're more likely to tell you to do something annoying, something frustrating, 
something you don't want to do, something you don't want to do now. It's not wrong. It's just like, I don't want to do it. Um, Here's a a little surprise, kids. Believe it or not, once I was a kid. Uh, It's a very long time ago. I had three brothers, so four boys in the family. Uh, This was the routine. Every Saturday morning, two of us were on cooking and two of us were on lawns. And we alternated week by week. So Saturday morning, oh joy, oh rapture, you'd wake up and uh, you would know whether you were on baking and cooking that Saturday morning, baking all sorts of slices and muffins and stuff for the week ahead, or mowing the lawns, push mower, good old-fashioned push mower on a pretty big block. Did I love it? Nah. Didn't like cooking, and it was a pain mowing the lawns. Eh, but was it okay for me? Yeah, you know what? 50 years later, I'm still trying to cook and I'm still mowing the lawns almost every second week. It it didn't do me any harm. It's actually good to learn to do stuff. But when Paul says here, uh, obey your parents, he's not just talking about learning to be nice or learning to be helpful. Those are good things. But he's actually talking about more than that. It says there, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What he's saying is this. When you obey your parents, even when they are so annoying, you are learning to trust someone in authority over you. You are learning to submit to someone else. And actually, what you're really doing, even if you're a very little kid, what you're really doing is you are learning to trust the Lord who gave you your parents. You are learning to trust God in things that you don't like and to trust God in doing things that you wouldn't have chosen to do, but God will also tell you how to live. And Paul actually quotes the fifth commandment here, verse 2, Honour your father and mother. And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I don't think that's an individualized promise that if you are an obedient kid, you'll live a long life. I don't think you can go to an old people's home, see all the people in their 90s there and say, well, they must have been obedient little children. Look how long they've lived. I don't think it works like that. This command was given by Moses when the people of God were entering the promised land. God had saved them. He'd rescued them. And he was now bringing them into the land that he'd promised them hundreds of years earlier. And he says, if you want to stay in this land, then you will have to receive from your parents the gospel and the commands of the Lord and believe them, and obey them, and walk in them, and then pass them on to your kids, who will pass them on to their kids. It's as children obey their parents, as they obey the faith of their parents, and the commands of the Lord passed from generation to generation. As that happens, he says, you'll live long in the land. And for us, we look forward to more than a chunk of real estate in the Middle East. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And if we will receive from our parents the commands of the Lord and the ways of the Lord and the things of the Lord, 
then ultimately we will live long in the promised land. You know, the church of the Lord Jesus is, in a, in a sense, always only one generation from extinction. If the next generation do not believe what we believe, this church will cease to exist. There's a lot at stake, isn't there? Kids, you need to obey your parents so that you learn from them the things of God and the ways of God. And as parents, we need to be passing that on. We're talking here about obeying the faith of our fathers. And talking about fathers gets me to principle three. Kids matter, obedience matters, dads matter, fathers matter. It's uh, fascinating, I think, to see what fathers, dads are like in kids' stories. When my kids were little, I used to read them the stories of uh, the Berenstein Bears. Any of you into Berenstein Bears? Great stories, except the dad is just hopeless. Like, he does not have a clue. Actually, Peppa Pig is pretty much like that. I don't know if you're into Peppa Pig. Uh, these are the joys of having grandchildren. Um, the dad in Peppa Pig is, is it, again, he's, he's hopeless. It's not just that he tells dad jokes. He is the joke. Thankfully, Bluey is a whole lot better. Uh, the dad in Bluey is good, actually. He's, uh, he's involved. He's engaged. He's connected with his kids. He's fun. He's, look, he's normal. And it's just a lot going for it if a dad is normal. Uh, actually, the dad in Bluey kind of takes us, in some ways, a step towards what Paul is talking about here. It's interesting, isn't it? He specifically addresses fathers. He's just quoted the fifth commandment, honour your father and mother, that parenting is a joint project. Mums and dads are in this together wherever possible. And the reality is I think mothers often carry the lion's share of the load, which might be why he says, hey, fathers, listen up. Mothers are often very, very active and engaged in raising children. But Paul singles out fathers. Now, sometimes parenting is done alone. And that, that's, I think, incredibly hard going. Hats off to solo parents who can't do it in a mum and dad team. But mostly it's a mum and dad team. And God says to fathers, you have a particular responsibility at home, don't shirk it. He says that actually because the New Testament teaches that fathers are the head of the home. And we've got to listen to that word pretty carefully these days. Head does not mean boss. In fact, it almost means the opposite of our vision of a boss. It means a servant leader. Someone who takes the lead by loving and serving and giving and caring and being godly 
and being responsible. That's what men in the home are called to. It's interesting what he says to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Like, Paul's a single man, but he's so onto it, isn't he? First of all, he says, fathers, hey, come on, lift your game, because a lot of them don't. And he said, fathers, you're meant to be taking a loving lead in the home, and they say, and don't provoke your kids. Don't exasperate them. Don't drive them nuts. That's my translation. Don't, don't uh, drive them crazy. Don't frustrate them. And he's not just talking about dad jokes. I think actually the Bible sanctions dad jokes, I'm sure. But uh, he's talking about a bunch of more serious ways in which we can anger our children. Being unfair. Being inconsistent. Being unrealistic. Being hypocritical. What about this one? Being present but absent. You know that one? You're there, but you're not there. You're still tied up with work, with emails, with sport, with scrolling. We can provoke our children by not listening, not really listening, not apologizing when we clearly got it wrong, not expressing love to our kids. I'm afraid many kids grow up with an ambivalent attitude toward their father. I meet so many men who have an ambivalent attitude toward their dad. They long for a dad who would listen, who would encourage, and a dad who would sometimes say, sorry, I got that so wrong. So I want to say to dads, don't presume on your wife to get all this right for you. You play your part because dads matter. And even if you have older kids who have left home, you can still be a dad who matters. You can pray, you can love, you can encourage, you can say all those really lovely things that you should have said 20 years ago. You can model godliness, you can model change in later life. You can tell them you love them. Who knows how God will use that in our kids' lives, maybe much later on. I'm aware there are single and solo parent families where there's no dad around to do that stuff. And then I think, what a blessing to be part of a church community. We, we should be a bigger family where some other men can step up and be role models and be encouragers and be friends of kids who don't have a father. So that was principle three, fathers matter, dads matter. And they matter as they take up alongside their wives the next thing. Discipleship matters. Discipleship matters. Look at what it says there in verse 4. Fathers, as they lead the home and work with mothers, it says, don't provoke your children, but bring them up. 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're coming here to the main task of parenting. And by implication, we can see what the main task of parenting isn't. Notice what it's not. The main task of you as parents is not to raise kids who are nice. I think often our bar in parenting is we just don't want our kids to be too embarrassing. Now, kids actually want parents who aren't too embarrassing either. This embarrassment thing, I think, goes two ways. But often we can be driven as parents just by we, we just want them to be nice. We want them to be manageable. We want them to be civil. We don't want them to throw tantrums in the supermarket. We, do, we don't want them to, to make us look bad. But that is not actually the main task of parenting. The, the main thing is not that they are happy. It's probably the most common thing said by parents. I just want my children to be happy. Well, I'd like to my children to be happy, but that is not our main project. In fact, it, it can actually be a slightly cruel agenda because what if your children aren't happy? Are you giving them the message then, their failures? <laughs> That's not helpful. There are a lot of sad and difficult, grievous things in kids' lives and young adults' lives. Our, our children may not always be happy. It doesn't mean the parenting game has failed. And here's a really important one, I think, for so many of us as parents. The main thing is not that your kids are successful. There's so often a drive in parents to derive pleasure from how well our children are doing. Everyone thinks they've got a little prodigy. She walked so early. She talked so early. And from then it goes on, being top of his class, Brilliant at this instrument. Such a good swimmer. Amazing ATAR. Top university. Amazing job. And all the way through, what's really driving us is the success of our children. I think actually there's a really good Bluey episode on that, but uh, that's another matter. None of those things I've mentioned make the cut in the Bible for what parenting is really about. So what is the main game? To bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, that is to help them know God and the Lord Jesus and the Bible and the gospel. Discipline is about shaping their will through training and correction. Instruction is about shaping their mind through teaching and admonition. And this includes in a Christian family and a Christian church like this, where we're all engaged in discipling the next generation. It includes a bunch of not very amazing things, but incredibly significant things. It includes reading the Bible with kids and 
teaching them about God and about the gospel. It includes praying with them. It includes drawing them into church life, coming to church. Just set the model that, that church is norm. Church is what we do as a family. It involves just talking with your kids about all sorts of stuff from a God perspective. And as our kids bump into so much, more now than ever, in terms of social media and issues of sexuality and priorities in life and gender, uh, we, we just need conversations, constantly talking about the Bible and the gospel and God's perspective and God's take. And perhaps most important of all, Discipling our children in the Lord means praying for them. Pray often for your kids. Don't outsource discipleship to the church or the Christian school. I mean, the church and the Christian school are complementary, and it's a wonderful compliment to have, but it's parents. Mums and dads who have the primary responsibility to raise their kids to know the things of the Lord. And if you're a young family here, I just recommend time reading the Bible and praying together as a family. Just find the slots that work. It doesn't have to be every day, but if it can be regular, if it can be the norm in your family life, that you pray and you read God's word and you talk about the gospel. That is a wonderful way of investing in your children. A Christian home is a powerful evangelistic context. A a home where parents talk about Jesus and go to church and read the Bible and pray and discuss life from a Christian perspective, that is a powerful context for many kids... And I say many, not all, for many kids to be saved. So many of us have been saved in that way, haven't we? I was saved that way. Brought up in a Christian home, that's how I came to know Jesus. So many of us here have been saved that way. But not everyone. This is not a formula. It's essential for me to stress this morning, we cannot save our kids. The best parenting in the world cannot make a child a Christian. And the worst parenting in the world cannot prevent God from saving someone he has chosen. And so we come to the last principle. And in many ways, it's the most important principle of all. We've seen kids matter. Obedience matters. Fathers matter. Discipleship matters, but this is the one I want to land with. The gospel matters. The gospel matters most of all. You know how uh, in many a great recipe there's that secret ingredient? I still don't know what the secret ingredient is in KFC, but apparently they have it. Or there's, you know, the... The, the thing you're meant to do with eggs when you're making a pavlova and, and all you know grandmas around the world have their the particular thing that you're meant to do to make a good pavlova. When it comes to parenting, the secret ingredient 
is not a secret. The cat was out of the bag at least 2,000 years ago. The secret ingredient is the power and beauty of the gospel. These verses that we're reading here in Ephesians 6 don't overtly talk about the gospel because they're building on the rest of the letter that's been all about the gospel. And before we read Ephesians chapter 2, and there's a wonderful summary there of the work of the gospel. Uh, Paul there unpacks how the gospel works really in three stages in our lives. First of all, he says, we were dead in our sins and transgressions. And that's true of every single one of us here. We started this life spiritually dead. That's the natural and innate condition of our children as well, spiritually dead. But then it says in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. God awakens the dead. He gives them life. He changes them. He saves them. He rescues them. That's what's happened to every single one of us here who is a Christian. We were dead and God made us alive by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's a third part in his story. Now we live by grace. And God has prepared in advance, it says, works for us to do, good works that God's prepared for us to do. And they are all done by grace. Not our works, but God's kindness and grace. Well, <laughs> this is the gospel and it's such good news. It's it's our only hope of our children being saved. Your children will never be saved by your parenting techniques or your, your endless efforts or even by your prayers. They will be saved by Jesus when he chooses to save them. And it, it's our only hope as parents when we fail. If, if, if you've ever been slightly imperfect as a parent, I realise most of you aren't, but, but if there's anyone else like me around and, and you have regrets and sorrows and things that you didn't, didn't get right, our hope is the gospel. Not having done it all perfectly. And it's our only hope in a world that is so confusing and confronting. What, what message will we bring our kids up with? Well, the gospel's the only hope. The gospel's such good news, friends. It means that if your child seems spiritually dead, God can bring them to life. You know, he's only ever saved spiritually dead people. It means that if your parenting is full of regrets and sorrows, God loves you and forgives you. And your eternal standing is never on the basis of your parenting. It means, too, that God can use us in our weakness. Remember Ephesians 2 verse 10, he has prepared in advance good works for us to do and he's got good works for you to do. And all of us in our church, whether we have kids or not, part of the household of God, God has prepared good works for us to do. And God is doing some beautiful good works in this church through lots of you guys, young families, beavering away, going crazy sometimes, hanging in there by the skin of your teeth but God using you 
to pass the faith on to the next generation. Let me say this. If things have worked out well in your family, there is no cause for boasting. That was the pure grace of God. And if things have not worked out so well, do not despair. Because God is full of grace and compassion. He loves us irrespective of whether we have kids or not. Irrespective of how well they've turned out. Irrespective of how we feel about our parenting job. In this great home and church project of raising the next generation to know God, keep your eyes fully on the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Lord God, this is a massive task and a beautiful task that you've entrusted to very flawed, ordinary people to raise up kids. Uh, for many of us in, a, in our own family, our own home, but also here in the church, to raise them up to know you. Help us in our weakness. Help us to find out how to apply these biblical principles well. And help us all the way to trust your grace. And we pray for the kids in our families and our church. Again now, we pray that you would save them. We pray for those who have strayed from you later in life. We pray that you would bring them back. We pray for those yet to be born, that we might see the faith pass from generation to generation in this church. We thank you that in your wisdom and kindness, you inspired these verses for us to ponder today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.